Welcome to I See What You Mean, a podcast about how people get on the same page or don't, or perhaps shouldn't. Today my guest is Alex Porfirenko. Alex is a friend and a professional services manager focusing today on software delivery in the public sector. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lou. It's great to be here, listen to your podcast. Looking forward to chatting with you here in our conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Why don't we start with you giving listeners a short bio on yourself? Very short bio. I started doing government contracting back in 2009 at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Mm-hmm. Learned the foundations of contracting acquisitions, all of that good stuff. Was helping the government keep track on their biggest contracts and the burn rate on those contracts. After I learned a little bit more, I moved to the Census Bureau, where I was doing cradle-to-grave acquisitions, helping government scope solicitations, uh, put them out there. was an advisor on the technical evaluation panels who actually selected award winners. Mm -hmm. And then once the contract was won, actually helping them to oversee the contract itself. After doing that for a few years, I moved on to uh, the U.S. Army where I ran a team of acquisition specialists that were basically doing all the purchasing and putting all the contracts together, all the contract vehicles together for the army to buy software. So acquisition with a big A where we're actually putting together contract vehicles. Mm -hmm. Then I went off the beaten track of acquisitions and went to the headquarters of the company I was working for at the time. Great company. They gave me opportunity to run all the professional service contracts, uh, they were value-added resellers. So I kind of took a step away from working directly side-by-side okay. side with the government and one on the other side of the house. All right. And more recently, I um, joined uh, Calibra, which is a data intelligence company, and they're trying to do business with Uncle Sam, and they need to go through all the channels and value-added resellers and all of that yeah. good stuff to yeah. get to Uncle Sam. So um, have uh, kind of a whole ecosystem for how how does Uncle Sam buy things, how you need to get to them, and how people are actually trying to do it. So it's it's been a very interesting journey, uh, unusual path, but definitely yeah. a very interesting one. I had fun with it. Well, it's good you've got the acquisition background because it helps with what you're doing today. You understand how the government buys. Yes, you remember, did you know, you know Tim Cook at ASI Government? Yes. He and I just did a, an interview and I released it in two parts. We had a great conversation about what ASI Government's doing about challenges acquisition professionals face today, acquisition innovation, uh, you know, some things that you would have some knowledge of. Uh, Tim is a great guy and listen haven't to gone it. to it yet, to it, yeah. <laughs> right. uh, but I'll definitely will when, when we're done here this weekend. Well, so you're in a big area there, data intelligence and, and, a, and a company that sounds like is breaking into the federal market or maybe expanding mm-hmm. within the federal market. So there's a lot to get on the same page about. What are you focused on today with which parties to get on the same page? That, that is a big question, a lot to unpack there. For me, when I think about it, it's kind of three big buckets, right? Mm-hmm. The first set of people that need to get on the same page are actually we ourselves internally, Calibrians, right? Mm-hmm. We have a lot of different parties within Calibra. We have salespeople, we have customer success, we have professional services, which is my department. And we kind of need to get first on the same page in terms of what exactly the customer requires and how we're going to deliver it. Mm -hmm. There's different ways to slice that uh, pie. And we just want to get on the same page first. How we're what are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to sell exactly to the customer? Okay. And then once, once we figure out um, that path, then we need to be on the same page 
with the government in terms of, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to deliver this installation to you, right? And that's phase one. We actually get in there and we do it. And then the last phase, which is a lot of the times forgotten in the government space, is once we leave, what do they do with our software and mm-hmm. who keeps it running? I definitely want to, I've seen a lot of things go wrong with that particular aspect of the engagement. And I want to be on the same page with the government with, in terms of what happens after you leave. Because a lot of the times in the government, that's even more important than the installation itself. Thank you. Those are great. We can unpack those a lot. I want to be clear on one thing. This is maybe a program that you're more focused on the installation. And after that, you're, yes. you're most of the government, the program people in the government, the cores are, you know, run it. So my particular department is focused on installation implementation. Yeah. And then we also supply SMEs in case the government would like to keep one in-house okay. after we leave. Okay. Uh, so that I'm the department that provides those SMEs for them. We okay. also have coaching. Uh, coaches can't really go behind the firewall. That's the difference between my department and coaching. So it can be a situation where you install, it's running the way it was intended. You've met the terms and conditions of the contract and you quote unquote walk away. And what you're saying is you're still, you still want to know how it's going after that. We do. We have customer success team, which is uh, a sister uh, division within Calibra for us, and they do a great job. Um, However, they're not hands-on technical uh, experts. And a lot of the times what I have seen in the government is that, you know, any software requires upgrades and updates. Sometimes those can, those are not done 100% accurately and that can cause problems within the system. But in particular to the solution we're selling, you need to do workflows, you need to do integrations. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of times that's when a lot of things go wrong. For example, with workflows, anytime you do an org change or a rework, workflows changes, right? Right. right. When you add or when people add and leave people, you know, that causes issues um, sometimes as well. And if you have, if you leave somebody behind, even for a quarter of a time, it resolves a lot of those issues. They don't differentiate, differentiate between bad software and software that doesn't get any love, care, and feeding right. after you leave. Right. So that's that's unfortunately a scenario where I've seen one too many times in the government where you go through all the hassles of getting people with security clearance. You bring them on board, which yeah. takes a really long yeah, time, especially with COVID. You get them on board. You get uh, you get uh, you, know, you get the system installed. You get multiple government departments on the same page. Um, everything get, goes together smoothly. You're done. You do the debrief at the end of the implementation, and you walk away. And then you know six months later, the software is not functioning as it should be because maybe government doesn't have the SMEs in right. house, or right. the a lot of times they have contractors right now who do that kind of work. They're not as well, they're not as much up to, yep. up to speed on the software. Yep. And so I've seen a lot of solutions fall apart. So for me, professionally, but also personally, I mean, you don't want to see hard work that you work so hard to install for it to fall apart. Uh, that's one weak point that I definitely want to be on the same page with the government on is that, hey, oh, guys, you know, if everything goes successfully, what's the plan then, right? And a lot of right. times that's... That's not really thought um, ahead of time. A lot of the times in the government, you have um, teams who actually do the development and implementation, and then you have another team coming in behind them that actually does the ongoing care and maintenance. And I've seen a breakdown in communication on that end. 
Well, um, and, but a lot of it, yeah, go ahead. Well, here's the thing about data intelligence. It's not just a question of the software running properly, which is a question. My knowledge of government data management practices is that within the government, it ranges widely from not very mature to pretty mature. So I, my guess is one of the things that you could find after you've installed is that the actions that government officials take, the steps in a process, change if they are, if they're trying to truly gain and use intelligence across organizational lines, right? Data intelligence across organizational lines, where maybe that's not something that they've done a lot in the past. They've been siloed, they've been firewalled, you know. So I could see some struggles. Yes. That that somebody yes. somebody could say, now it's the software, but it might not be. It is very, very true. We at Libra come across a wide range of customers. As you said, some are uh, better than others. Some are far more advanced than others. Yeah. I mean, we, we ran into this where we have to adjust our approach on the fly. And I do have to say, I'm very proud of the team we have at Calibra because they they are able to do that and they are able to adjust to the customer. I mean, that's the crux of the software is that, you know, you adjust the workflows in the software to fit the needs of the organization that it's right. deployed to. Right. So, um, yeah, that has been interesting and, and it's actually really interesting to look at government organizations that actually um hire us because uh typically you can get from from the get-go you can i don't want to say almost sense um how far developed they yeah, are or sure. mature they are sure. but some little telltale signs for example if they're willing to open up the rfp and, and accept recommendations from the vendor i mean we can right. recommend things like you know, hey, we recommend that you leave a resident engineer behind. We can recommend that you take uh, this approach or that approach. If the teams on the government side are open-minded about that kind of stuff, that shows us that that's usually a very good telltale sign because right. they're open to a negotiation. They're open to uh, learning of what the software can do. So I've seen that that's a good sign. I've seen another sign where they're actually... Uh, they don't know what they don't know, and they're afraid to ask, right? And right, then they're actually right. sure looking for us to tell them what they need. So I, I've seen I've seen the full gamut, and each requires a slightly different approach. But for the most part, I've found you know government uh, clients they're eager to learn, and they I mean government has so much data, right? Uh-huh. Who has more data than Uncle Sam, right. right? So they could really use a solution that we offer and help them catalog it and help them share data with the right individuals, not all individuals, but the right individuals and put data stewardship in place. Practices, yeah. It's a, fant- yeah. It's a fantastic tool for that, but I do see a wide gamut of clients who are asking for it. And it's great to work with them, especially if they allow, yeah. you know, our five process, if they allow that, that's what I find produces the best results is when there's, they're open to that dynamic. They're open about learning and there's and sometimes even say, hey, look, you know, write in an optional Quinn proposal and we'll take a look at it and see if we accept it or not. That's usually a very good sign for us when we're looking at the level of maturity that the organization Well, has. you've touched on something that's important I want to spend a little bit of time on. I, I didn't do anything in data intelligence when I was um, an executive in a SDVOSB and writing proposals and in, in overseeing delivery. But I saw many times when... What the what the government wrote in the solicitation that it wanted wasn't exactly or entirely what it needed. When you post award, 
you do the kickoff mm-hmm. and you, you sometimes you find out in the kickoff that there was uh, a difference. Sometimes it felt like a stark difference between what they had written that we had bid and now we're sitting in front of them and what they're telling us what they need. Sometimes it's not so stark. It might have been more nuanced, but still important. It could change the technical solution we would bring to something. Mm-hmm. It could change the staffing. It could change the price. I My guess is you talk about signals that you see when you're when you're looking at RFIs, RFPs, RFQs, and you're reading into them a little bit. Mm-hmm. You see some things that are maybe a sign of maturity. If you don't see them, doesn't mean they doesn't mean the data intelligence, data management operations not mature. But you you know you like that flexibility because when you get inside and you learn that they need more than they ask, and it's still in scope, right? I'm not talking about mm-hmm. something yeah, altogether different. Yeah. It's just they didn't ask at the source. They asked it a way you answered, and then and they should have been asked in a different way. They left part of something yep. out that you could help them with that's related to what you're – so then you have those conversations of, well, we're here. We could help with this, and you want the flexibility to be able to do that. So what was the yes. – without naming any names, tell us a little – just a little vignette of when you read the solicitation, you dressed it, you won, you get inside, and you find, ah, they're – thinking something different than what they said. Yes, I have seen that many times. Usually, I can think of one instance, uh, great people, but they uh, they didn't ask for it the right way. And actually, they required help because they didn't know the software. Mm-hmm. They didn't realize, this is pre-Calibra days, when they, uh, they realized that they did not... Uh, the software was very sophisticated and they needed somebody basically there at least half time keeping it up to date and current and keeping it going within the organization. And I've worked with them on being very flexible. I've worked, you know, this is when I worked uh, for value at a reseller. We worked, we worked with the, actually our partner whom, who used us to get to the federal government, we worked to secure the right individual with the right background yeah. to actually, yeah. yeah, and who actually was in this area. So they actually had to hire somebody. And then I worked with the government to actually, it was still within scope, but we had to take years off of the back end of the contract and put it forward yeah. uh, to be able yeah. to pay for that contractor. Yeah. You know, that was a very good lesson learned for me, especially in that engagement that, hey, look, you know, when you have pretty sophisticated, you know, it's kind of like selling somebody a jet fighter, right? Yeah. You, you give them the keys and you say, here you get, here it is. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it helps to have a coach. So that was a good example of, of when we worked together collaboratively with the government and say, hey, look, you know, perhaps you guys didn't realize this at the beginning, but, right. you know, you need right. somebody. Let's work together to figure out how to do it. And that was a solution that we came up with together. But yeah, that flexibility of, hey, you know, perhaps if that optional clin was there at the beginning of the contract, right. uh, that would have solved a lot of the problems. So that's some of the contractual tricks that I've learned along the way that I try to talk with my government customers up front about and say, hey, look, you know, you might not re- need this, but if you do, yeah. just put an optional clin in yeah. there and you pull the trigger on it. Um, you don't need and, it. It doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. So the big, big part of my job is actually negotiating with the government on the front end of the deal and walking them through all of these scenarios and being on the same page. And it really struck me what you said earlier about being on the same page and not realizing what's in the solicitation. And I found the best engagements we have now at Calibra is where we took the pain up front 
to meet with the customer and have their technical people speak with our technical people and say, hey, look, what exactly does Calibre right. do? How does right. it do it? This is what we need. Um, can your tools do that? If they do, how would they do that? And honestly, that's the best solution I've found to actually get it done because both technical teams are on the same page. They both understand what needs to be done. And so the government understands what Calibra does. That's the benefit to the government and how it works and what they would need to do to integrate it. But on our end, we actually clearly understand the environment and how much work we would need to do on our end to actually get it done. So both right, sides right, end right. up walking away with, uh, with knowledge about that. And actually, after a lot of these conversations, we're able to de-scope and come down um, on the number of hours sure. quite a bit sure. and save government a lot of money as a result of it because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And especially if it's a firm fixed price contract, right. you yeah. need to put that cushion in there. Yeah. And if you know what you're getting into, that cushion can shrink quite a bit. And so that's been the best solution I've been able to find you know, get the technical guys on board and then, um, you know, we figure out the hours and money afterwards, but get, get yeah. the two teams synced up together. Those produce the best results. Well, I wanted to ask you about scope and the technical solution because we had talked about that a little bit and, and you were, so you've addressed it here. My guess is, like you said, you don't know what you don't know and you don't know a lot and you could be at quite a bit of risk if you're looking at a mm-hmm. solicitation without having had those conversations in advance with that agency, with that client. The best situation would be to have had those conversations in advance, Yes. which you know, and I know, government officials are permitted to have. There's still some myth out there that they shouldn't, but we know that's not, that's a myth. It's not true. And and the more conversations any government agency has with any number Mm -hmm. of any vendor, any number of vendors, I like how you said it, they would understand more about the offerers, products, and what they could do, the capabilities. Yep. And then they would also understand perhaps better how to ask what they're looking for, not to favor anybody, but just if they had five meetings or three meetings with you guys and the technical people were pretty clear, and if mm-hmm. they had the same number of meetings with N number of other contracts, they get clearer on the whole landscape. Now, yes. if they're very sophisticated in their data operations, data management, data intelligence, they might be filling in some some gaps. If they're not very sophisticated, if they're mat- on the maturity model, they're, they're not. They don't have a great deal of organizational maturity doing it. They're going to learn a lot. They're going to learn a they're lot. Gonna, they're going to learn a lot, and I'm glad. I'm so glad you said that because you know data intelligence and is is a journey, right? Yeah. Our tool yeah. alone, our tool alone, will not solve their problems, right, right? Right. What I have seen organizations who are actually trying to do it right. One of my um, colleagues in the neighboring department, he runs coaches, and he came up with this great idea about doing a foundation adoption roadmap, which is one of the services we offer at Calibra, where we basically mm-hmm. take senior executives through a series of boot camps that basically allow senior leadership to start thinking about data as an asset. How do you use it? Mm-hmm. What do you have in the organization? How do you want to structure it? And we talk about data stewardship. We right. talk about all of that, you know, all of that right. stuff. But it's really senior level thinking, um, senior level executives to say, okay, this this is a data, it's an asset. How do you want to think about it? And we normally actually recommend that they do this ahead of time before we sure. do the foundation. Sure. So, so that way they understand 
what the data is. We, te we teach him, of course, a little bit about Calibra and the tool, but it, it it's more than that. It's right. the way of thinking right. about data. How do you use it? How do you want to structure it? What do you want to get out of it? What kind of reports do you want at the end yep. of the day? And then once they understand that, once we actually do the implementation and start drilling down on the workflows and uh, all of that fun stuff and the reports that they're going to get at the end, we do a couple of demos for them. The earlier they understand that, the better the end results tend to be. Absolutely. We do actually a lot of training uh, and we recommend to do it. We train, we'd like to train the engineers and people who are going to be involved with implementation. We actually do training before we do the implementation because the more they understand about these concepts and what the tool can do, the better they will design the tool as we're going through the foundation. Exactly. So that's a, that's actually, that for me was an interesting thing. I first seen that through a couple of partners I work with in cybersecurity side where they actually recommended to do, of doing training before you implement the tool. Well, and for me, that was learned that the, new at the time. And is, it's cool that I would do a Calibra too. This is a very interesting and important angle on the idea of getting on the same page. So. Well, you talked you talk about a few different things there, right? You talked about engineers who are going to be involved in implementation, right? But yes. you also talked about executives on the government side. And the things you mentioned to me, I, I classify as business questions, business objectives, business yes. matters. And yes. part of what you're saying is this is a tool. It's a means to an end of solving some business needs, you, meeting some business needs you have, solving some business problems. The contract by which you yes. access, access us is a means to an end. So if you if you have the conversations that are business conversations or you have the conversations that are implementation conversations mm -hmm. or you have the conversations that are users, maybe there's some users mm -hmm. who need certain reports for certain reasons. The more you know about that, the better. The more they know what the capabilities are. And as you said, it's a journey. So maybe there's a few things that have to be done first before they're going to get mm -hmm. quality reports that they could really use for, let's say, decision-making. Those yep. are conversations that have that, that almost have nothing to do with the tool. They, that's not that's an overstatement, but what I mean by that is... It's the framework around the tool. It is. You have those conversations independent of the tool, then you connect the tool to it. They yes. should be having those conversations within their own organization, and that's hard. They're, they don't. Yes, and 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 then they if they looked at five tools they'd have a better idea of how five tools would serve them competitors or absolutely they might know if they they might know if they need, realize they need um, a tool that does data intelligence like yours but they've got to they've got to connect it to some other things they've got to well look you know all the things we know about data quality right they've got incomplete data they've got inaccurate data all the things that would make a report come out of a data intelligence report come out and not be very useful or meaningful. And they don't want to blame the, you don't want to blame the tool for that. <laughs> <laughs> no. So no. these are the kinds of conversations that fascinate me because we need these to be on the same page. But Alex, what you're implying is these are numerous conversations and they are with different parties. They are. Now they you've are. only got one CEO and you've probably got one PM on the government side who wants, who's looking for your proposal, right? Yes. But all these other parties uh, on the government side, their knowledge of what's happening matters very much in, in addition to what the CEO and the PM know. Absolutely. And that's why 
That's why we're hoping that the evaluation team that actually does the evaluation on the contract is comprised of diverse sets of people who will represent, you know, individuals right. of each of those groups. Right. But also one of the reasons through many, many lessons learned, that's why we do demos when we actually come up with the tool, right? when we start, start implementing the tool. We want to make sure that we show it to the people who are going to be using it. We're going to be showing the end results to the consumer of that information, right? Right. So we want to make sure everybody is on the same page. We want to make sure that we are pulling the right, uh, that we're pulling from the right databases. Right. We want to make sure that it's displayed the right way and yeah. uh, the people, then consumers actually get the data. And one of the cool things about the feature of our tools, you can do data lineage and data traceability. And you can actually, when you say, hey, this report says, 37, where'd you get that from? Mm-hmm. And you can actually drill down on that and pull that out. So that stops what we call a lot of the data fights in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. And it actually tells the government, hey, this is where the data is coming from. This is their report. This is how old the report is. Mm-hmm. We And we actually recently bought a data quality tool that actually tells you, you know, the report is 50% of the fields are blank. So we don't have a lot of confidence wow. in that report. So so it, it, it stops a lot of the fights about the data, the quality of the data. Yeah. And what it does is gives the information to the right people. And it's it's important to get the information to the right people because you know you don't want employees to have access to their own HR file, right? That's why workflows right. and right. data storeship right. is important. Right. But what we found out is that organizations that implement Calibra, the quality of the discussion in the boardroom moves away from where'd you get the data to, okay, this is the data, what do we do about it? So it actually transforms the way organization thinks, behaves, and how quickly it can react to different situations. That's pretty cool. That's what what you hope to see. It is. And um, and like I said, it's a great tool. It's a great tool, but the organization around it, how you get there, that's the hard part. I like to ask the question, what's it mean to be on the same page? Right. And I have a definition that I use. It's sort of an operating definition. I like to think of it as agreeing enough to take the next step together. And so this is often in a workplace where people are in a process of some kind, a project that has steps, procedures, there's there's phases, there's process to it. And you're on the same page, even if you don't agree on everything, you're on the same page if you agree enough that the next thing we should do is double check that data quality. The next thing we should do is rewrite that section of the RFP uh, because now that we've talked, we know it doesn't say, it isn't, it isn't really asking what we wanted, what we want to ask. So the, agreeing enough to take the next step together. But apart from that, or use it if you apply that or tear it apart if you have a reaction, it sounds like in what you do, getting on the same page has something to do with, I'm going to ask you this and then you're, my words, you tell me, increasing the level of understanding of multiple parties on the government side of what's yes. of what the way the tool will be a solution to a business problem once it's installed and running properly. I think being on the same page, I think I will take your definition and expand it because it's being on the same page across different teams. Yeah. Right? Okay. Sure. It, it's, it's, I like your definition, but, but I think, you know, uh, you know, the engineering team might be on board, but not the financial team. Right. 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 It's 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 all the different pieces coming together, but once again, you know, I started saying this conversation that, and we first need to get on the same page within Calibra, right? right in terms of what specific sure. tools and features we're selling, 
but then it's also being on the same page with the government to implement it, right? That's a, and a lot of it is engineering on that end. But on the tail end of it, it's um, being on the same page with the people who are running the tool and with the consumers who are actually uh, consuming the information and using it every day, making sure yes, that it's yes. up and running and it's accurate. Yes. So it's 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 actually even the I'll take your definition and kind of exp explain it. It's having those multiple teams aligned and and understanding what's going on and not only understanding that but being on the same page through different phases because we once again we can do the implementation and walk away and then right. as the organization changes and they add or delete data sources and that's when things begin to go askew so it's being on the same page across multiple teams across the span of the contract that's the that's really the hard part. It, it, and I think, so there's a phrase that came to mind that I know from some uh, literature. I'd have to look at the book title to tell you what it was, but shared knowledge and shared intent. Yes. What you're talking about yes. when you're talking about that kind of on the same page across the multiple teams is if each team, so each team's got something that's responsible for in it and it knows mm -hmm. that pretty well and it looks at everything that you do through their lens. And that's fine. That's the yeah. way they, they, yeah. it works. But if teams understand a little bit more about what each other sees and what each other is doing, they have more shared knowledge. And, and with that shared knowledge, they can have a more of a shared intent so that sometimes what you hear is someone in engineering go, well, look, this is, talk to, talk to Alex. Me and the team are going to fix it this way. That's fine for us. But we should check with finance or we should check with customers and make sure that that does right you begin to think a little bit more broadly not just within your own scope yeah in uh you know old time pmp practitioner it sounded <laughs> like you're talking about the integration board uh yeah, right. it sounds like an integration board i think in modern days it's general petraeus who coined it as team of teams it, you are talking about something like that you yeah. definitely do that that's exactly what you're leading to and and look organization logistics uh yeah uh, are hard, hard, hard especially in covid when you can't get on the same uh in the same room so yeah team of teams concept is and it's it's hard to do organizationally but yeah it's exactly what you're talking about here yeah so i think about like football american football team there's 11 guys on the field offense or defense each one knows what he does yeah. on the snap of the ball and each one knows what the guy next to him is supposed to do but it helps for the lineman to know what people aren't around him, what the back running backs are supposed to do or what the receivers are doing because on the snap of the ball, you don't know what the defense is. You don't know what your opponent's going to do. And your opponent could do something that thwarts you, what you had planned. And you can make an adjustment better if you know where the running back's running right. or where the receiver's crossing over. Right? You can make an adjustment with more knowledge. You can make a better yes. adjustment with the knowledge of what other of your colleagues were doing or about to do. That's the shared knowledge. So you have a shared intent. It's very powerful. Look at football team. Just to stay with, stay with the example. Look how many time. Look how many months football teams rehearse practice. Look how many thousands oh, yeah. of times they run through something. Right. Look how many times they can be coached. Stop in the middle of a play at practice and talk something through. It's hard in big organizations, commercial. Government, nonprofit doesn't matter. It's hard because they don't they don't practice that way. They don't they don't right they they don't rehearse that way. They don't go through something that many times. They don't stop and talk it through. Your idea of the 
of the demo, of the conversations in advance, the demos of the of the training that you've done, of the coaches. I think are all tools or attempts, um, uh, ideas that are trying to get at how to help the government solve that tough challenge of you got a lot of stakeholders on your side and they're not all on the same page. Right. It's a great way forward for both sides. Now, let me let me ask a question. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about getting on the same page, what it means to be on the same page, the kind of understanding that you're building, knowledge, sh- shared knowledge, shared intent. We've talked about ways you mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Some good ideas about the how. How do you do that? What What happens when you can't get on the same page? That could happen for different reasons. So you can answer the question yes. however it comes to mind. But you don't. We don't always get on the same page. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can't. What's what happens when you can't get on the same page within your own team? How do you mm-hmm. try to lead a conversation that that gets over the past the wall if if that's possible? Or what happens when you can't get on the same page with a client? I don't mean you lose the bid. That's that's just obvious. But let's say you're working right. for them already. You're under contract. And something comes mm-hmm. up, you're working it with them, and you're, you're just not seeing eye to eye. What are your What are some of your methods or techniques for when you can't get on the same page, but you maybe think you you want to still try? Or Alex, if it's if you see it's not going to go that way, what do you do to try to leave things in good order, good shape, respectfully, so that relationships right. aren't damaged? Right. So with regards to within my within my own team, disagreements happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. They happen all the time. I think the key thing I'm trying to figure out when we have a disagreement is why we're having a disagreement. Mm-hmm. What's the root cause, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is it that, uh, you know, stick with the traditional lines? Mm-hmm. Uh, salespeople want to make the sale and they want to discount it. And professional services are saying, yeah, maybe not. Whether <laughs> it's customer success. Uh, people want to do the renewal and the salespeople want to do the uh, new sale. Uh, you, you try to get the root cause. Okay, what's going on, right? You need, right. I, I think once you understand the root cause and what's driving people, that's a great way to start. And then you have a conversation. You say, okay, well, what if we do it this way? What if we do it that way? You run through all the scenarios and then um, internally you can still disagree. And that process usually solves about 90 Eight percent of problems, and whatever remaining two percent, you can just kick it up to uh, the managers. That's what the they process. Get paid for. The process of of the scenarios. What what what's the process that solves the vast majority? You start talking to people and say, "Okay, what are you trying? What are you trying to do? Right? Gotcha. What's yeah. what's your intent? Why why are you why are you taking this position? Right? Yeah. Well, um, you know, is your for example, your organization? A lot of times, I say, "Hey, look, you know, my." Uh, professional services, uh, we mean uh, professional services, it's our policy not to do X, right? Right. right. We don't do that. Um, so that's, uh, and I try to do that myself when I have conversations with people. I always try to give them kind of the background as why I'm doing this. It's not just a no, it's right. no, it's, it's a no because of X, Y, Z. Right. And if I don't get that from the people I'm having conversation, I can ask. always say, hey, well, yeah. then I ask and you say, hey, well, why is it the case? That makes sense. And then once once you figure out where people are coming from and their constraints yeah. from their organization, their incentives, and then you, you then you begin to see the whole picture and you, then you can see the art of the possible, how you can make it happen. Or sometimes you don't. And that's when you say, okay, you go talk to your leadership. I go talk to my leadership and explain the situation and say, hey, we talked about this. We cannot agree. We need to escalate this to the next level. 
And that's how, you know, I've found internally you get a lot of issues done. Well, I like that because I think it does two things. One, like you said, it solves most problems or it gets people unstuck most of the time. And if they don't, if you can't walk away with an agreement, I think what it does, Alex, and tell me if this has been your experience, I think it sharpens or focuses what's not in agreement. Whereas before the conversation, it could have seemed like there were five things or it wasn't wasn't clear. Mm -hmm. Now it's pretty clear. You made it clear by attempting to work it out. And so uh, when you both, if you went up chains of command to present it to your leadership and said, we're not on the same page, we've tried, we can't get there. I think both sides could say, or three or four parties could say, here's what we're not on the same page about. And it could be pretty specific, pretty concise, and everybody would have a roughly similar understanding of it. That's what I think happens when you do the process that you've described. Right. It's It has worked well for me. Uh, like I said, can get 100% agreement, right. but it certainly right. certainly clears people's intentions, their motivations, yeah. and it exposes you know all the possibilities, I think. Now, for the government, I once upon a time wrote a standard operating procedure for the escalation of issues. <laughs> Did you really? I still have it. Uh, one of my one of my favorite pieces of intellectual work I, I, I've done. Cool. The uh, I can share it with you after after the call, so you can take a look at it. But in a nutshell, I'd love to see it. what that what that is is actually the stated desire is not to blame anybody, right? But to actually find out what happened and arrive at a solution. And I state that up front in the SOP, in the purpose of the standard operating procedure. And then SOP from there goes into, okay, if there is a problem uh, and you find it on the government side, what you do is you alert the project manager and you allow him or her time to do their due diligence. Right. And then you come back together and you discuss the problem and try to resolve it. Same thing if you're on the government side. If you find a problem... You know, the project manager alerts the government core, if it's a federal uh, client, and the core uh, must be given time to do the due diligence to do his or her job Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and find out what happened. And then you come together and you try to resolve it. And at that point, if you don't resolve it, at that point, you kick it up to the contracting officer. Mm -hmm. And you both present your cases to the contracting officer. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, then I say, well, then there's legal avenue. But basically every step along the way, that's the philosophy is that you actually find out if something's wrong, you don't immediately go and start yelling and charging and accusing people. You find out what happened. You say, hey, there's a problem. But the due diligence give people time not only to find out, but if it's uh, something that they're upset about, gives them a, a chance to take a breather and calm down. It's, I found that to be a pro, yeah. a great approach to take. And actually now I try to include it, I include it as a standard uh, attachment in all the kickoff meetings that I do. Ah, I nice. say, hey, hey, if you have an issue, this is a template uh, that you served me well in the past. Nice. Just having something there is actually a great way for saying, hey, I'm the way I normally phrase it at the kickoff meeting is that even on the best run contracts, yeah. problems do occur. Yeah. And this is how and this is how I like to solve problems when they come up. Well, so yeah, that's smart. And uh, connecting a couple of things you said. So I always think of it this way: each of us sees certain things in a situation, but not other things. That might be because of our role, our training, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Each of us 
sizes those things up in a certain way. We make something of what we see in a certain way. If we have a reason yep. why we see certain things and make and size them up a certain way, then we know what we think we ought to be done about them to achieve a certain objective because we can see the means and the end. But what you've been saying all along is two people could do that two ways. Five people could do that five ways. Not wholly different, just particular to them. But if shared, you said earlier, you mentioned um, the reason why, explaining the reason why, the rationale. If yes. you understood, Alex sees it this way, thinks we ought to do it, something about it like this for this reason as a means to accomplish that. And, and I see some th things differently and have some different things in mind. They might not be mutually exclusive, Alex. We don't know that until we talk about it, but they might just be two different ways that we saw something and we talk about it. And maybe now we have more of a one way to talk about it together, a combined way to talk about it together, right? Maybe right. I learned something from you like, oh, shit, Alex, I never thought of it from the, from the, 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 the point of view of those users that you just described. I was focused on something else. You were focused on something I hadn't thought of. You bring it up and I got to go, yeah, you're right. We've got to think about what they need. So I could learn something from you. We Something could emerge from the two ways that we are approaching something that neither of us would have thought of. It just came out of the conversation. There's a lot of powerful things that can come out of those conversations when you understand someone's intent and motivation. And I don't mean that in a real personal way, like Alex is trying to get promoted. That's why he, that happens, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what you said earlier. Sales teams have objectives and engineers have objectives. Security people have, have objectives. On the government side, all the different stakeholders have separate objectives. There are a lot of established interests have interests at stake and they want those interests protected. The way you've described asking the questions, tell me more about what, why you see it that way. I'm not challenging you. I want to know. Tell me more about why you yeah. see it that way. Why you make of it what you make of it. You said it beautifully. It opens up the art of the possible, which before looked like it was maybe not closed. possible. Yeah, closed. No, it's, uh, it's something that has served me well. Yeah. I grew up playing team, team sports. One of the best books I had on the topic is actually a book called Never Split the Difference. Uh, it's by uh, FBI hostage negotiator. Chris Voss is name. Yes, uh, yes, author. yes. I, I love listening to him because on the basis of his experience, he's, he boils things down to the, to the basics. When you apply the basics expertly, you get great results, right? <laughs> but that comes from working hard to apply the basics. That's true of your golf swing. That's true of playing the piano, it's that, right? It's just true, true of cooking. True. But that's when you were, when you were saying about uh, when you, you've used this well to, to your advantage and you share it with customers, you use it with your team. There's some fundamentals in there that I think are really cool that you have to know how to use them. They don't just run themselves. But when you know, when you practice it some and you know how to, ask those questions, lead those conversations. I think they're highly productive. I think they are, but and, and you're right. It, to get back to your idea of practice, you do need to practice and you do need to consciously, at first, think about this is how I'm going to use it, right? This is, and then after a while, I don't want to say they become automatic because yeah, you still need to practice, but it's a lot easier it's to be like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about this. You know, what is your position? Yeah, you make and, it second uh, nature, yeah. You make it second nature and it makes it easier. But yeah, you know, your channel is great for that to 
share some of the tricks with people, especially in this public sector space. And I recommend people to do, to study, right? That's, that's why you keep on learning, keep on studying, you yeah. keep on learning new tricks. Hopefully you have time to, and these to are, study on top of work. Well, and these are interesting. Well, true. That's true. But these are interesting <laughs> because they're, they're, they're fundamentals that if, if you are in your position, you know, leading a professional services team, if you are on the engineering team, if you're on the customer service team, if you're in the government on a, the CO, a different role, these things work for anybody in any, in any role. And it's funny because we're not always trained in them. We're trained more in our roles. Yes. Well, I think you're talking about the soft skills, right? That's what the, they're the called. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about the soft skills and those are very hard to come by yeah, they and uh, they're very hard to come by. And they're yeah, those skills are very useful. Oh yeah. I've stumbled through a lot of stuff and a lot of it didn't work. This one works more than the others. Works for me, hopefully, and maybe it will work for some other. Well, people I think well. I, I think so. I mean, I think, and that's what I like to do with the with the episodes is give listeners ideas for things to try. You've talked a fair amount about what you do and why you do it, and then how, and that's what gives people a chance to try it and see how it goes. Good yeah, those you. skills are very useful. Oh yeah, I've got something for you. I'm writing a a guidebook on a leader in a situation where the team's not on the same page. And mm -hmm. just the ways to change the conversation. These are things that we've discussed in the last hour. Four steps or four points to get at the why, to get at the rationale, to mm -hmm. understand where someone's coming from. And then and then you open up the art of the possible because you have more knowledge. So the guidebook is on that. And I had planned to share it with all my podcast guests. And I just, you're the first one I've told. So I'll, I'll get you a copy of it <laughs> maybe next appreciate month. That. I appreciate that. It'll yeah, be, that'd be good. Thanks. It'd be a fun read. Well, Alex, we've talked about a lot of things. I want to thank you for joining me today. I've had a good time and learned a lot, as I always do when we talk. Uh, I had a great time. You uh, asked very good pointed questions. Thank you. Good luck with what you're doing. Thank you for spending so much time with me, and, and, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think we've put some good things out there. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's how we see it, my friends. I want to thank Alex for recording today's episode. You can find it at iseewhatyoumean.castos.com. Subscribe and give me a five-star rating unless you can, in which case, tell me why. And join me next week when we take another look at how to get on the same page and stay there, unless we shouldn't.